Good morning. It is such a, a beautiful day to be here with you. I'm, I'm sure you're like me in that this is a day that you uh, look forward to uh, every single week. You know, we serve a God who truly is great. He's mighty. He's, pa- he's powerful. Uh, he can do anything he wants with, with but a word, uh, with but a thought. He can do anything he wants. And yet, through all of that, he loves you and he loves me. He wants to have a relationship with us. And that's something that is remarkable, something that's special, something that uh, I cherish and I know you do too. And so we come Sunday morning for that relationship, but it's so great we get to have that same relationship with each other, that we all have that relationship with God. And so we get to share in this relationship as a church uh, together. It's something that I truly look forward to and I know that you do as well. Uh, This morning, I want to tell you about a hobby that I have. And it's a hobby that I've enjoyed for quite some time. It's a hobby that some of you might not be the biggest fans of. I know sometimes my wife isn't a big fan of this hobby. The hobby I'm talking about is I really enjoy to play video games. I have since I was uh, young. I've loved to play video games, and uh, despite whatever stigmas or connotations you put on them, it's something that I've loved to do. You know, going to a friend's house, and uh, my friend and his father uh, both hooking up controllers, and we'd all play a game together. It was something that I truly enjoyed. It's like back in the day when uh, you would go down to the baseball field with all your friends. Uh, It's that same idea, except uh, together inside. So I guess there are some gives gives and some takes there. I want to specifically talk about uh, one game with you this morning, uh, just briefly, and it's a game that you've probably heard of. If you have children uh, who are younger, if you have grandchildren, you've heard about this game before. Uh, this game is called Minecraft. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've heard about it, maybe not. Um, I've seen some, some people in this church, some children who have worn shirts with Minecraft characters on it, so I know there are people in here that love that game. The whole point of Minecraft is you drop in to this world full of trees, full of animals, full of villages with people, and you can basically do whatever you want. You can set your own goal. There's anything you can do within your imagination. You can build a dirt hut if that's what you want to do. You can build an entire mansion. You can go down deep underground and mine for diamonds, one of the rarest resources in the game. You can even go and go to a different dimension and fight a dragon, as crazy as that sounds. You can do all of these things in the game of Minecraft. Now, there's much more to it, and if you want to learn more about it, you can ask uh, either of the Lawrence boys. I know that they'd love to tell you all about Minecraft. Uh, We've talked about it before. (coughs) But whatever goal you set in the game of Minecraft, there's one thing you have to do to get started. There's one simple thing. You have to get wood if you want to start the game. Minecraft is all blocky. I know it looks silly, but that's the game. The very first thing you have to do in Minecraft, if you want to play the game, if you've set a goal of building a dirt hut all the way to going and fighting the dragon at the very end of the game, you have to go and punch a tree. Now, I wouldn't recommend that in real life. I know it's a silly thought going and punching a tree, but that's how you start the game. You walk up, you punch it, and then you use that wood to create tools. And from then, you can use an axe, you can use whatever you want. You'll never have to punch a tree again except for at the very beginning of the game. Now, I know we're talking about a video game here. And in real life, like I said, I would not recommend going up and punching trees. Nothing good will come from that. But in life, we set goals, don't we? We set goals. For us, I'm assuming since you're here this morning, a goal that you've set in your life is you want to be a good person. You want to be a good Christian person. You want to show God to others. Well, as simple as as going and and punching a tree is for this game, as small as that is, something that you'd never think about, 
in order to be a good person in real life, if you want to go and be a good Christian, it's a simple thing that you have to do. It really is. And it's something that's small, something that maybe we overlook at times, but it's as simple as loving God. It's something small, something that maybe we don't consider with a bunch of magnitude, but if you want to be a good person, you just have to start with the simplest task of loving God. Loving God comes first. That's the idea that I want to talk about with you this morning. The fact that loving God comes first in our lives. And sometimes it's something that I fear we overlook, our love for God. Loving God isn't just something that we do on Sunday mornings. Loving God should become an instinct in our lives. When we're living life, when we come to a situation and we think, what should I do? Our love for God should take over. What would God want me to do in this situation? We're going to be in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34 this morning. And we'll jump around to some other places, but that's the main text that we're going to look at. And in this text, a scribe comes and asks Jesus the very last trap question. And in Mark's account, um, when this scribe comes, well, it doesn't look like my uh, verses are in here, so I'm sorry for that. I, I put verses up there, but I don't have them, but that's all right. When this scribe comes to Jesus, um, he comes with the question. See, the, the elders and chief priests have come to Jesus, and they've asked a trap question and failed. Then the Pharisees and Herodians came, they asked a question and failed. Then the Sadducees came, asked another trap question and failed. And so it seems that the scribe comes up, and it's finally his turn. He's going to ask the best question of them all. Now, Mark's account doesn't explicitly say he's coming to test Jesus, but Matthew's account does. Uh, Luke's account, which is slightly different, but even in Luke's account, a lawyer comes to test Jesus with the same question. So we know that this question is a test, and I think we can conclude from the very last phrase that said, the very last sentence in verse 34, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions, that this question is asked, or at least laid, in the start as a trap. And there are a couple of, couple of options as to how this was a trap question. The question is, which commandment is the most important of all? Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus could give any number of answers. There are any number of commandments that he could pick from. And so one argument that the scribe could make is, well, all of them are commands of God. They're all equal. They're all the word of God. And so if Jesus picks any one, he's valued a command over another, and maybe that could be an issue. Another problem is this was something that was debated in the synagogues. And so whatever, whatever command of God that Jesus gave, the scribe could go and say, well, this rabbi disagrees with you. You've disagreed with one of our great teachers, therefore you're wrong. You can see how this is a test that if Jesus doesn't answer it perfectly could result in him being ruined or destroyed before the people. So loving God comes first. And what I want to do this morning is look at this trap question, uh, look at this truth that loving God comes first. And I want us to find three truths about that fact, three truths that prove that loving God comes first. So to begin, loving God comes first in the life of Jesus. Uh, Let's read verses 28 to 30 of Mark chapter 12. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Loving God came first in the life of Jesus. Jesus gives this answer not only because it's the correct answer, because this is the most important commandment, but because Jesus lived out this commandment. 
Jesus truly believed that this was the most important command in all of the Old Testament, the most important command in all of the Bible was to love God with all of your being. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 and 5 here. And it's interesting how he actually adds a word to that phrase. Uh, In the original Hebrew, uh, the word mind isn't in there. So Jesus says to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and with all of your strength. So what does that mean? Well, um, we're not going to go about them in the order he gives them, but specifically your soul, that's your spiritual being. That's all of you outside of your physical body. Your strength is all the power that you have. Every ounce of strength that you can muster, you're to love God, to hold on to God with it. But then the two that maybe uh, we get confused about are heart and mind. What's the difference there? Well, your heart is how you think. Your heart is how you think. So when I think about the things in my life, I should think about them from the standpoint of I love God. When something comes up, I love God, so how should I handle this? And then your mind is what you think. How often do you think about the fact that you love God? I I hope that it's all the time. For the Jews, they would wake up in the morning and say prayers of thanksgiving to God because it was constantly on their mind how much they loved him. And the same is true for Jesus. Loving God came first in the life of Jesus. And so to prove this point, I want to go to a few different places in the book of Mark. And uh, I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to summarize the story for you. But I think it proves different aspects in which Jesus loved God before anything else. The first one's in Mark uh, chapter 7, where Jesus, is, Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field. And his disciples begin to pluck some grain and they begin to eat it. And the Pharisees come out and they're upset because the disciples ate with unwashed hands. They, they get upset about that. Jesus loved God more than the traditions that were around him. Jesus loved God more than the traditions that were around him. And so these Pharisees have bound this tradition that you have to wash your hands ceremoniously before you eat. They bound that as a law. And so Jesus calls them out for their hypocrisy. He tells them in verse six, it's written about them. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of man. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Jesus gets upset with them because they've elevated their own traditions, their own rules that they've created, and they've equated them with the commands of God. But Jesus loves God more than any of those traditions. He says that's not something that we need to hold on to. And the same has to be true for us today. We have to love God more than any tradition that we have in our lives. Any any traditions that we have in the church and our own lives, we love God more than those. Now, are those traditions bad? Not at all. But we can't bind the traditions that we've created and equate them with the law of God. We have to love God more than any traditions in our lives, in our church, more than any traditions in our society. Another example, in Mark chapter 8 and verse 32, Jesus loved God more than even his friends really. Um, If you look at the 12 apostles, they were some of the closest people, I think they were the closest people that Jesus had in his life. Um, They were brothers. I think about David and Jonathan in the Old Testament, how their souls were knit together. They were so close. They were the best of friends that their souls were literally knit together. That was Jesus with these 12 men. They slept together. They ate together. They went together everywhere that they went. And Jesus taught. They were so close. And in Mark chapter 8, Peter makes the most important confession that he'll ever make in his life, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Well, immediately following this, Jesus starts to tell of his death and Peter gets upset and pulls him aside and rebukes Jesus and says, you can't say things like that. 
You can't, you can't say that you're going to die. That, that's not right. That's not how the Christ works. As good as, and, and as pure as Peter's intentions were, he still just didn't get it. And so he tries to rebuke Jesus. And as close of friends as they were, Peter recognized, or Jesus recognized that Peter was getting in between him and God. That Peter was, was driving a wedge in there. And so Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, Jesus wasn't saying there that Peter was possessed by Satan, that Satan was whispering in his ear. He had the little devil on his shoulder telling him what to do. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, Peter, you're not following God's plan. You're you're outside of that. I have to die. It is necessary for me to die on that cross because that's what God needs me to do. See, Jesus loved God even more than his friendships. Jesus loved God even when it made others upset. In Mark chapter 11, uh, we've talked about this earlier on, when Jesus cleanses the temple, he walked in and he saw the mockery being made of God and his holy place. And it made Jesus upset. And so Jesus acted on his anger. I fear that that we think that anger in and of itself is a sin. Uh, When we act on anger in an unrighteous way, sure. But Jesus acted on his anger here righteously. He saw the mockery being made of God and he went in and began to flip tables to drive out animals, to drive out the money changers. Even though it probably made those people upset, they were making a living. They were, they were making some good money doing these things in the temple. I'm sure it made them upset, but Jesus loved God so much that he was fired up at the mocking of him. Jesus loved God so much. Can we say the same about ourselves? Do we get fired up? Do we love God so much that we get fired up when people are mocking him, when people are coming after him and discrediting him. And then the the fourth one I want to look at this morning, Jesus loves God first, even when it's hard. In Mark 14, Jesus is in the garden praying and he's asking God, let this cup pass from me. I I don't want to do it this way. If there's any other way, let's do it. Not my will, but yours be done. I can't imagine a time that Jesus was more vulnerable. I can't imagine a time uh, that any human would be lower uh, than that. Begging God, let this pass. I don't want to do it this way. I can't imagine the fear that Jesus must have felt in that moment. But he knew it had to be done that way. And so Jesus loved God so much that he didn't stay on his knees in the garden praying. He got up, he got his disciples, and he walked to face the men coming to arrest him. Jesus loved God first, even when it was difficult. He loved God over tradition, over friendship. Even when it made others upset, he loved God even when it was the hard choice to make. Jesus loved God first. And I think we have to as well. So loving God comes first in the life of Jesus. Our second point, loving God comes first. And from that, we love others. Uh, Let's read verse 31 of this text. Jesus has just quoted uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your strength. Verse 31, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than... Than these. These two commandments, we can look at them separately, but they're together. They're interconnected. They, they go one with the other. Each command is great on its own, but you put them together, and these two commandments are perfect. They're, they're, they're what we need in our lives. It always reminds me of uh, when we had Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook on the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, both of them were, were great players. Both of them were superstars. I think we'd all agree with that. Uh, if you're a Thunder fan, maybe not, if you're, if you're not. But they were both superstars. And together, they did some great things. They made it to the NBA Finals. They were one game from beating the greatest Warriors team of all time. But when you separate them, they weren't so good, were they? I, I don't know if you remember, but I remember when Russell Westbrook got hurt. And that season, Kevin Durant won an MVP. 
but how far did our team make it? We made it into the playoffs, but that was about it. We, we didn't really do much there. We, we got another injury to Serge Ibaka, and that was it. Well, then that next year, Kevin Durant gets hurt. I think that's ironic that we get to see them both on their own. Kevin Durant gets hurt, and we missed the playoffs altogether, all because Anthony Davis hit a double-clutch three-pointer, right? All because of that. So we missed the playoffs. So separately, these two players, as great as they were, weren't nearly as good as when you put them together. Those two players needed each other. It wasn't one and two. It wasn't Batman and Robin. It was one A and one B. Uh, These two players, one might have been better than the other, but they were right there. And I think the same is true of these two commands. It's one A and one B. It's not one and two. It's these are right here next to each other. and, And one sure is greater than the other, but you need both if you want the absolute best. I think about the the Good Samaritan. We might think, well, what does it mean to love others, Jesus? Well, he's already answered this question. He gives us the parable of the Good Samaritan when he's asked this exact same question. And he tells them, your neighbor is the person that needs help. I don't need to walk you through that whole parable. um, But I I think you know the story. The Samaritan comes, a man who the Jews should have hated. And of everybody that passed him by, the Samaritan picks him up and takes care of him and pays for his way. The Samaritan makes sure that he has what he needs. That's loving your neighbor. That's loving others. That's what Jesus is talking about here. I think about the golden rule in Matthew chapter 7. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. What does it mean to love others? Well, I'm going to do to others what I want them to do back to me. And to take it even a step further, I'm going to do to others what I want God to do to me. I'm going to be merciful to others because I want God to be merciful to me. I'm going to help others because I want God to help me. Uh, Maybe a passage that we don't connect with this idea, but... In Matthew 25, 37 to 40, when Jesus is talking about Judgment Day, and there are those who are waiting to get in, and they say, well, Lord, when did we give you a cup of water when you were thirsty? When did we give you food? When did we give you a place to stay when you needed somewhere? When did we give you clothing when you were naked? When did we do all these things? And Jesus tells them, when you did it to the least of these is when you did it to me. Taking care of others, that's part of why they got into heaven. Now, it took that faith in Jesus, it took that love in Jesus, but they were taking care of Jesus by taking care of those less fortunate. And they didn't even realize it. Uh, I think uh, loving others falls within loving God because when we love God, we're going to love those who he has created, those whom he has loved. And to tie it to one more passage, I think this idea is perfectly expressed in Genesis 18 when Abraham takes care of God and his angels. I think that's how we need to treat others. Like we're taking care of God himself. Um, Abraham sees these men passing along on the road and it doesn't give us any indication that he knew they were anything special. But he says, here, come and stay with me. Let me feed you. Let me wash your feet. Let me take care of you. And come to find out it was God. It was a couple of his angels that Abraham was taking care of. And how cool of a thought is that? But Abraham took care of these people because he loved the people that God had created. And I think the same has to be true for us today. Loving God comes first. And from that, we love others. We love those that God Has created. And then finally, this morning, loving God comes first, but does it always? Does it always come first for us? Uh, Let's read verses 32 to 34 of this text. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You've truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. It's interesting. It seems the scribe came with the intention to trap Jesus, but he's 
converted. He's on Jesus' side now. He agrees with what Jesus has to say. Jesus answered this question well. He says that these commands are important. In fact, these commands are so important that they're better than whole burnt offerings. They're better than sacrifices. What were those things? What are burnt offerings and sacrifices? That's the way that they covered their sin. So is he saying, if you keep these two commands that you'll never have to offer a burnt offering and sacrifice? Well, I think yes, because if you keep those two commands, you're never going to sin. If you were to perfectly love God in all situations, if you were to perfectly love your neighbor as yourself, you're never going to sin against God. You're never going to sin against your, your neighbor, sin against those around you. So these two commands are the perfect commands because if we keep them perfectly, then we're never going to sin. Now, is that reasonable? Can we expect to, to keep these two commands perfectly? I don't think so but I think it's something that we can aim for. It's a goal that we can set for ourselves. We have to strive to keep these two commands. And I love Jesus's response. He sees the scribe answers wisely and he says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far off from God being the king of your life. See, we can have all the right answers. And I feel sometimes maybe, maybe we think we do. We have all the right answers. But we have to put those answers into practice. The scribe knew the right answer here. You're right, God. Or you're right, Jesus. This is what we need. We need to love God with everything. We need to love our neighbor as ourself. But he's not quite at the kingdom of God yet. If he keeps these two, he's not going to sin anymore. But he's not quite at the kingdom of God. Well, what's holding him back? Just because he has the right answers doesn't mean that he's acting on them quite yet. We can call God king. We can tell God that he's the king of our lives, that we're following him and his rule. But do we really? I, I think at times, I, I know for me, I, I haven't. I haven't fully followed God. I, I can call God king. I can come on Sunday morning. I can sit in the pew. But is God really the king of my life? I think that's a question that we all have to ask ourselves this morning. And to measure where you're at in that, to measure how close you are to the kingdom of God, you need to ask yourself, does loving God come first? Does loving God come first for me? I, I can't imagine... Uh, a person like this scribe, if Judgment Day started right then, who is on the outside looking in, and he's told, you were this close. You had it. You were right there. It was, it was within your grasp. All you had to do was take it, and he didn't. Um, I fear that, that that's where some of us might be today, that we're right there. We're, we're so close. We're almost to the kingdom of God. God is almost fully the king of our lives. We love God, but do we love him first? Is God that most important thing to us? And from there, do we love our neighbors as ourselves? Do we love others in our lives? Uh, this morning, if that's not the case, if, if you aren't loving others the way you need to, if you're not uh, quite there yet, if, the, if you're close to the kingdom of God, you understand that that's the answer, but you're not quite there, uh, we'd love to help you with it this morning. We'd love to pray with you, to study with you, to help elevate you to that level. Whatever it is um, that you need, we'd love to do it for you. Uh, maybe this morning you haven't made that decision to, to join the kingdom of God. You haven't made that decision to be his. It starts with something simple. It starts with loving God first. Uh, that's really what it takes. If you have any need this morning, we'd love to assist you. You can come forward as we stand and as we sing.